This week we review the 21 season of Jaguar Enthusiast Club Racing. JECpodcast.com Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you. Hope you're keeping well. As autumn descends, but all is not lost. We are just a week away from our big trip over to Castle Coombe, over there in Wiltshire, for the last track day of the year. And it takes place on the 5th of October all day. There are still a few places left for track laps if you want to join in all of the action on track. Or if you want to just come and watch, it is free to do so. And we've got trade stands and a mini Jaguar show going on there as well. And we're going to be filming and recording some content for this podcast and the JC social media streams while we're at it as well. So lots going on during the day. If you don't fancy bombing around the track, just come for a good day out. It's the 5th of October. It is in the week. It's a Tuesday, but come and join us. It's our track day and car club meet that you can find more information on on the JC website at jc.org.uk forward slash events. Also, events happening up north. With your invitation to the Northern JC Breakfast Meet, it's on Sunday the 17th of October at The Motorist, which is a really interesting venue actually, just outside of Leeds towards York, and it's the ideal opportunity to meet, chat and talk over a stunning selection of Jaguars, all in the relaxed surroundings of The Motorist up there. You can arrive from 10 in the morning, there's no cost, there's drinks and food available, just rock up, have a chat with your mates and pop off home when you're ready really easy once again all the details at jc.org.uk forward slash events or go to the motorist website to find out where to go and how to get there and also don't forget as the season kind of winds down we do start to look towards the big event that kind of closes the classic car season here in the uk it is the nec classic motor show in birmingham and already you can use the JEC members discount code to get cheaper tickets. You can log in and get that from the members area at jc.org.uk. But also, don't forget as well, we're still raising money for the Haemophilia Society by selling our raffle tickets for just £2 to win that stunning Jaguar XK Coupe. It's a signature special edition. It came to us from Denton Cars, and it's the superb spec 5-litre V8 finished in Italian racing red. It's got just 35,000 miles on the clock, and it could be yours for just £2. The draw will take place at the NEC in November. So there is still time to buy your tickets and you can buy them online. You can go to jc.org.uk, click on the shop there, and it's very easy to navigate to buy your raffle tickets online. All profits are going to the Haemophilia Society, the only UK-wide charity for those affected by genetic bleeding disorder. There are a community of individuals and families, healthcare professionals and supporters who work to support those who are suffering. So do buy your raffle tickets, have a go at winning that XK. And in particular now, when charities have had such a hard time raising money, it's more important than ever. Get your raffle tickets now for £2 via jc.org.uk. Motorsport Heroes with Richard West's Hall of Fame. Well, on this week's Jaguar Enthusiast Club Podcast Hall of Fame, we are introducing a man who is on a million or more pencil cases when I was a kid, 
and that's because he was uh, the driver or one of the drivers of the TWR XJ220s in the early 1990s. We're talking about David Leslie, aren't we, Richard? Yeah, we are indeed. I mean, obviously that shows the difference in age because my pencil case has got Sterling Moss on it, but there we go, <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, David Leslie, a really, really first-class guy and a very, very uh, accomplished racing driver who I had the pleasure of working with both at TWR and latterly when in the early 2000s he came and joined the British Touring Car Championship with Proton alongside Phil Bennett. But uh, no, a guy who started his career out, um, a Scot, uh, he was from the Dumfries and Galloway regions of Scotland. Uh, he started his motorsport, as so, so many do, as we say so many times in karting. And he actually became the Scottish karting champion on five alternative uh, years. So he was clearly very, very talented. And uh, then won the Formula Ford uh, title in 1978, where he moved on. Uh, in 1981 to British Formula 3. So he was well-grounded in those skills of car control in those lesser formulas before stepping across into touring cars and sports car racing. And he was obviously synonymous with TWR and Jaguar uh, because he was found by Tom Walkinshaw and pulled into that team. But actually the link with Jaguar goes back a little bit earlier into his career because he was actually an Acuria cost driver in the early 80s, wasn't he, with those legendary Royal Mail-sponsored uh, Group C prototypes? Yeah, he was indeed. I mean, from 81 to 84, I think it was, he was involved in uh, British F3. But then, as you rightfully say, he stepped across to a courier cost. And from there, he moved across to the World Sports Car Championship, uh, where he had many C2 class victories uh, and really proved his worth there. But a, a Scot, a patriotic Scot through and through, somebody who was very proud of his nation, but also somebody who used his earlier years to help a great many teams and manufacturers to achieve great success in their own individual areas and chosen championships as the years rolled by. How did he end up with TWR? Was it another one of those Tom Walkinshaw conversations where he sort of grabbed him by the scruff of the neck in a paddock one day? I think it was more than Tom, Tom always had a soft spot for fellow Scots, you know, and the, and the accent would sort of completely change when he was in the company of fellow Scots. You almost needed an interpreter on occasions with Tom. But no, what, what basically happened? David had teamed up alongside Ray Malik in the C2 class. And in the 1987, uh, 24 hours, Le Mans um, finished eighth overall. And I think, you know, Acosta eventually took over the Aston Martin programme before David departed to become part of the Jaguar squad. And because you're all in that same paddock together, there was that kinship between them, you know, with their Scottish roots. But also, and I've said this so many times now, some of our listeners might be bored of me saying it, but Tom, Tom loved the racer. And being a racer himself, he and David exchanged many, many views. They had many chats. And quite simply, he was he was a natural because David was also a big man, but he was also a very fit man. And, uh, you know, sports car racing, endurance racing fitted the mould with him very, very well indeed. And Tom clearly liked that. Well, I talked about that pencil case in slight jest at the beginning, but uh, it's very true that there were the cool kids in school who had the tin plate XJ220 pencil case. And on the side were the driver's names, Win Percy, Armin Harner, and David Leslie and it sticks in my mind but it was also I think a moment where his career must have really shone bright in the spotlight at last well it did and you, you know it's worth remembering David raced at Le Mans uh, a total of 10 times and as you say when you get alongside the works Jaguar the X220 XJ220 alongside Wynn and Armin 
Um, they were vying for the lead, but sadly, uh, a rare engine failure cost them that, and uh, it wasn't to be. But he really did. I mean, he where his real name, where his real household name came to the fore, of course, was in British touring car racing. He moved into the championship in 1990, which was really the start of that era before we got into the highly expensive super touring era. Uh, era. He um, competed not full-time. He was part-time driving a Vauxhall. And um, he took his first win, I think it was, yeah, 1992, his first win. And he got six pole positions over two years. So at the end of the day, he'd established himself there in what was a very, very competitive formula up against the likes of, you know, hard men like John Cleland. Many, many a mm. sticker and paint traded between those two over the years. They're great names from a, really a golden era of British touring cars, isn't it? You know, the likes of Matt Neal, Tarquini, Anthony Reid and all of those names. He was up there with all of those guys. Oh, he was very much so. And in fact, you know, he moved between the manufacturers as well. I mean, he, you know, he drove for Mazda Sport at one point. But where, where also he made a great impact on British touring cars in '95. That was the, t the time when I was obviously at Williams, you know, on the F1 side, but we also had Williams Touring Car Engineering with guys like Alan Menu and Will Hoy and these fantastically quick uh, Lagunas that we built. What happened with David was that he joined Honda, um, who had entered the Touring Car Series for the first time, and his engineering background was very, very strong. You know, at the British support meeting, at British Grand Prix support meeting, um, it was really the kickoff to the second half of Honda's touring car season. And by the time he got to the end of that year, he finished fourth in the championship. And as you rightfully say, you know, 97, you had fantastic names, James Thompson, Gabriel Tarquini. And of course, Leslie switched across the Nissan and he raced alongside Anthony Reid. Now, there's a man you don't want to trade paint with, <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> as you well know. I mean, Anthony... A real gentleman, a lovely, lovely bloke, but dear oh dear, in a racing car, you know, it's a bit like Brundle said when you saw the yellow helmet coming through with Senna, you know, you either moved over or got involved. And I think that's the same with Anthony, you know, a real hard racer who respected David and David respected him massively as well. Well, he uh, went on from touring cars to stay in motorsport, didn't he? He raced in a number of other series as well, Brick Car, I think, as well, and, and also spent a spell doing commentary work and university mm. lecturing, I seem to recall. But um, it all ended really sadly when he died alongside another Le Mans great, actually, Richard Lloyd, in something mm. nothing to do with cars at all. Mm. No, I, I, I think, you know, just before we touch on that, that sad ending to David's life, I mean, effectively, in 98, he, his work at Nissan helped a great deal. As you say, when he stepped away from that, he did a one-off appearance uh, in the British sport race in a Porsche 911, shared it with Matt Neal, the name hmm. you mentioned just now, another long-term, very successful touring car driver. Um, and, you know, when you look back on him, he was one of those guys, a bit like Anthony Reid, who we just touched upon, who would pretty much get in and drive anything. Once he really moved on, he did several rounds, as you rightly say, he got involved in the British GT Championship, driving a Marcos, where he finished on the podium at Croft. He also did a little bit in the States, and again, he came back to um, Knock Hill. I think somewhere in that, he did a brick car race or two as well. But when, when he came to touring cars in 2002, he came, as I said at the beginning, with, um, with Phil Bennett, they had big backing from uh, Petronas and they came with the Proton team. The Protons were never that competitive. But I have to say, you know, that was the time when I was running British touring cars. Super touring was a dim and distant memory and we were running to very 
much cheaper regulations. And they did a good job. The team looked great. It was uh, put together by a Far Eastern gentleman by the name of David Wong. And in fact, Alan Scott, TWR's uh, legendary engine man, had quite a bit to do with that proton entry in the early days from afar. And uh, when he stepped out of that, you're right, he got involved in some commentary on the World Touring Car Championship Series. And he would occasionally come out on Brit Sport, but he also gave a lot back. He um, went into lecturing on motorsport management. I think it was at Swansea, uh, Swansea Metropolitan University, if my memory serves me right. And I've got to, I've got to take something off the internet here, you know, because it, it really is credit to the man. Alan McNish, David Coulthard, Dario Franchitti, they said that they were all given at the start of their careers the incentives is largely down to David and his late father, David Senior, because he was a great supporter of young talent. We then come sadly to that awful day in uh, in March 2008 when he was travelling with a uh, very famous team owner, Richard Lloyd, who many of our listeners will know from his Porsche exports, and their data engineer, Chris Allerton. Uh, they were due to fly to Nagaro, and they'd taken off. Uh, they were on their way. Uh, for Richard Lloyd's Apex Motorsport team preparing for the uh, FI GT3 Championship. And uh, there was a technical problem apparently on board the aircraft and it was a light small jet and it was brought down in a housing estate in Farnborough and sadly everyone perished. And uh, David's name went into the uh, history books. His death went into the history books far too early. But a remarkable man, a man who contributed enormously to motorsport. One should never overlook also, of course, his involvement with Aston Martin, he raced with Aston Martin as well on occasions. So yeah, a great guy, sadly missed by many in the racing community. And the great uh, motoring journalist, David Tremaine, who has his own land speed record project, which has been going for a number of years now, was very close to David. And um, he said to me on one uh, one particular day, he said, I think it was at Tom's uh, memorial service in Gloucester when I bumped into David and um, David, there's his wife, and uh, they said, you know, today we've lost one of the true, true gentlemen of motor racing, so let's remember him for what he was. David Leslie, born on the 9th of November 1953, and sadly who died on the 30th of March 2008. the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. To find out what events you can get along to or to discover local club meets in your region, visit jec.org.uk. Well, on this week's Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, we are reaching the crescendo, the climax, the concluding round of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club Championship taking place at Mallory Park. So an ideal opportunity to review the season that we've had so far and also look forward to the final part of the story and work out where the big battles are going to be, where the ba- where the big uh, competition is going to be to watch when we finally go to Mallory Park to wrap up and conclude the season. So joining me on the podcast is Colin Porter. Hi, Colin. Hi, Wayne. How you doing? Good, thanks. It's been, well, a, a great year actually for racing, but we didn't start off that way. There was a lot of uncertainty. If we go back to the very beginning of 2021, you and I were on this podcast talking about the uncertainty we had ahead. At that point, we were still in lockdown. And at that point, spectators weren't allowed to go anywhere near motorsport, were they? So what was it like trying to organise the championship under those kind of conditions? Yeah, you know, it it come off a really um, a tough winter, if you like, Wayne. Um, negotiating, you know, what 
what the championship was going to look like for, for this season. Um, lots and lots of changes. We'd moved from Classic Sports Car Club, where we had been for, for 18 years, uh, you know, happily with them, um, to uh, the Classic Touring Car Racing Club, and um, who, who, who run under the Bark umbrella. And, and so there was, there was a lot of uncertainty. I don't mind admitting, Wayne, at that point, and, and not really knowing exactly what our season was going to look like. And as you said, you know, um, the prospect of having no spectators there, you know, which we really enjoy having, uh, you know, Jaguar enthusiasts along to, to watch the racing. So, yeah, you know, we were scratching our heads and really wondering what it was going to be like. And, um, you know, you know, now, as you say, is quite a good time to, to reflect on that and actually, actually kind of look at, at what's happened over the season. So when you were talking to the competitors looking forward to the 2021 season, getting those dates in place, was there a sense amongst the paddock that they were all keen and eager to get out there, almost sort of whatever the weather, as it were? Or were there some, was there some trepidation amongst the field of those early stages? I think, I think a mixture of both, Wayne. Um, we had had uh, some guys, you know, we had had half a season the previous season, and some guys, for whatever reason, whether they were affected in their businesses by COVID or, you know, they, they didn't want to get out and, and mix with people. Some people didn't come out. Some people were very keen to come out. And we kind of had a mixture of two, those, those that were, were dying to come out and, and those that, you know, still had their, their wings clipped, if you like, uh, budget-wise, and, and were, were not coming out because... Um, you know, they had financial restrictions on them or, or whatever other reason, you know, they didn't want to come out. And and so, you know, it's still been a case this season of of kind of rebuilding things, getting things moving again and, and, and encouraging some people to, to come out. But, you know, we, we have seen um, probably our best grids for a number of years and, and the prospect of those growing into, into next season. Well, it was timely, wasn't it? Because there we were at the beginning of the year uh, with the prospect of a season where none of us could go and watch it in person because those early rounds were all done during lockdown or the, the, the sort of stage easing that we went through at the beginning of 2021. But the good thing about this year was that not only did the change to the BARC give you grids on your own, but also it gave us that fantastic streaming TV coverage as well, didn't it? Yeah, that's been that's been absolutely amazing, Wayne, and and it, and it is one of the reasons that we made that move across to go on to the to the to the Bark platform um, because it gave that opportunity or where there wasn't uh, spectators at, at the circuits or um, you know people that live in different parts of the country to actually be able to get and watch our racing on the on the live stream. And it has been incredible. Some of the numbers uh, on the live streams have absolutely been phenomenal. I mean, if you take our first race of the season at Silverstone, I think if you if you add together the various viewing platforms that it was on, 187,000 people actually uh, viewed the racing uh, that weekend, which which is incredible. 
Fantastic, and a great way of putting the Jaguar name out there and showing just how exciting club motorsport is within the Jaguar Enthusiast Club as well. And I guess the competitors themselves were having to deal with some logistical problems with all of this because for the very first round, I seem to recall, which was, of course, the Silverstone International Circuit, the 24th and 25th of April, actually it was still quite difficult to get a hotel then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, all those uh, logistical things, you know, uh, were very, very uh, difficult. Um, I remember at Silverstone, you know, we had very, very strict, um, you know, uh, regulations imposed on us in terms of, you know, still having to to wear masks, even in the garages, even though you've got both ends of the garage open um, and there's, you know, a good airflow going through the garage, you still had to wear masks in uh inside the garages you know a social distancing um all of those things hand sanitizing all of those things were still in place at the beginning of, of the season you know uh whilst you've got a fairly large number of people you know in the in the paddock because um you know we we don't just run on our own at these meetings we run with uh classic touring car club uh racing club as i've said um, but also at some of the meetings we have things like Brick Car, which has a massive following and um, a huge uh, entourage, if you like, comes with, with Brick Car in terms of support vehicles. Uh, so so quite, quite a crowded paddock area and you've got all of those things to deal with. And as you say, Wayne, you know, if you're not staying uh, on site and in, and in some cases we, we couldn't stay on site, so, so we were kind of on and off site in one day. Um, finding finding hotels to stay in the area, um, you know, was was very difficult. And all of those logistical things to have to deal with as well as um, thinking about all the things that you need to actually go racing, you know, all, all the spares that you need for the car, you know, tyres and so forth. So, so a lot for the guys to think about, yeah. So let's explain then for people listening to this podcast who actually haven't caught a round of the race championship yet and are unfamiliar with the cars. Let's uh, start in April at the first round, the 24th and 25th. It was the Silverstone International Circuit. And as you looked out across the grid on that very first race, who was there? What were the cars like? What have we got competing in the championship this year? So um, we we had the we had the u- one or two of the usual suspects uh, there. You know James James Ram, who's uh, uh, the current champion um, and has been uh, champion previously in uh, 2019. Uh, sorry, 2018. Um, so so James is you know kind of ever present uh, along with we had a fairly new car that was built last season, another XGS. Um, Guy Conyu's uh, V12, uh, which is a, a, a recreation of the um, uh, Quaker States Group 44 car. It's a stunning, stunning-looking car. So, so that was uh, there on the grid. Um, we also, we also had uh, a newcomer in Matthew Davis. Uh, and Matthew is racing an XJR6 uh, alongside the sister car of that that um, Tom Robinson drives. You know, Tom was, it does, the, does the podcast every week. Um, so so those were on the grid. Uh, Michael Holt, uh, XJ, uh, sorry, X300. Tom Lenthal, uh, you know, again, regular guys uh, that are on there. 
Um, both the, the Copox, Lawrence Copox uh, in the V12 XJS and uh, Richard Copox in the 4-litre. And um, guys that have been racing for a, a long time uh, as well, uh, you know, guys like Simon Lewis, who also races uh, a Mark One in the in the Hawthorne. So, so guys, guys like that. So, a mixture of cars between, you know, uh, the uh, the XJSs that have been dominant in, in our championship for a long time, and also uh, the the saloons and and some new cars coming onto the grid. And it's great to see some of those XK8s coming through as well. They've been a sort of recent addition to the championship in the sense that they're cars that are now becoming more accessible to turn into race cars, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, there's one or two of those in build at the moment, um, and we hope to see those out next year. Um, Derek Pierce has been running his, you know, that um, that was built by Tom Lentzel. He's been running his for a, a number of years and, you know, steadily improving that car. It's become more reliable. Um, Chris Boone uh, won the championship in one in 2019. Uh, Chris has taken his car down a slightly different route but has been out this year uh, running in the invitation class because he's uh, he's now supercharged that car um, so it doesn't fit into the class B that he used to run it in but he's still coming along and, and running that in the invitation class so yeah it's great to see those kind of cars coming along we're also uh, seeing a, a couple of uh, S-types in build at the moment so so some uh, some of the cars that uh, come from a more recent period in uh, Jaguar history uh, starting to appear on the grid. And that fantastic XJ40 that's in the Castrol livery. And of course, Matthew Davis ended up in an XJ40 himself, the sort of Swallows sister car, didn't he? Because uh, Silverstone started off with a lot of drama and there was a bit of a barbecue on the start line. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, Wayne. You've got a good memory there. Um, yeah, I mean, what a way for Matthew to, uh, you know, to have his debut at his first race. Wait, waiting on the grid, lights out, and he puts his foot on the pedal and nothing really happens. So he, he kind of tries again and staggers over the line and then the car bursts into flames. And, you know, considering it was his first race, he was very quickly out of the car, pulled the extinguisher. The marshals were over very quickly with extinguishers. Unfortunately, it got put out very, very quickly. I mean, and um, later on, it was found out to be a, a, a cracked fuel rail that had actually caused the the problem. But yeah, you know, welcome to racing. <laughs> the race, the race obviously got red flagged and, um, uh, and and restarted. And unfortunately, you know, Matthew was unhurt, and he he, ha- he has been out in that car since. But as you quite rightly said. He uh, he drove a couple of rounds in uh, XJ40 that um, Swallows lent him. Uh, it's a car that was originally built by the guys up at West Riding Jaguar, and uh, it's a it's a very it's proved to be a very very uh, reliable car, and actually was recently put on the dyno, and, and it's proved to, to have a, a you know a, a fairly strong engine, almost the same number of horses that, uh, when it came out of the factory. And uh, Jack Robinson will be out uh, racing in that car next season. 
Well, if there was any uncertainty as to whether people had lost their fighting spirit over the winter season, Silverstone soon put paid to that because it was a fiercely fought round, wasn't it, to open the season on April the 24th and 25th. And Silverstone is an interesting circuit because there you are, the very first round of the season. You're all sort of feeling your way through, testing the cars. And it's arguably the fastest circuit on the calendar and the one that could take the most out of the cars. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. You know, um, we 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 had a tremendous fight uh, at the front uh, of the grid. You know, um, I remember James James Ram got off to a, to a cracking start, as James often does. He's he's a, he's a master of quick starts, and um, he 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 went flying into the distance, um, ch- chased by by Tom. And I think it, it took Tom about three laps to to catch him. And, and 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 Tom eventually got past him uh, with a, a, a clever manoeuvre round the outside, going into the Vale chicane, um, which is not a place you often see people overtake. And um, um, they were nip and tuck throughout that race, and in fact through the through the weekend. I think over the two the two races, there was less than a second between them in, in the two races. And and that's what our championship is about is is close racing. You know, you've got a, a, uh, an XJS that, that's got tremendous uh, ability to turn in, great handling against uh, a big a big saloon, but with you know uh, a fair amount of power. And and to see those evenly matched against each other, um, you know, really really did set us on our way for the season. Well, we just about recovered from the excitement of Silverstone starting us off. And then literally a month later, we were at Donington on May the 31st. And Donington, always one of my favourite circuits. I know it's a favourite of the drivers as well. It's that perfect mix of speed, uh, technical sections. And you tend to find there that the people who get a really good start tend to dominate the race. And that was true of our championship round as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, you know, and I, and I've talked about, you know, James James uh, getting off the the line very quickly, and and he did exactly that again um, at Donington, and um, he really did dominate that weekend uh, up there, and uh, you know, he 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 really really put on a show and uh, and did very well. Colin Philpot returned that weekend. He he wasn't he wasn't out at Silverstone the previous round. He had some technical problems um, with his ECU, and so uh, Donington was uh, Collins' first round, and uh, it was it was really good to see him back there. And um, we also, you know, we also I think saw the pattern for how the season was going to pan out. You know, with the the battles between Mike Seaborn and Derek Pierce in Class B. That's that's been the big story of this season, if you like, Wayne. Is that that the you know we we talk about the cars up the front, but you know the cars running a little bit behind those. Um, that there's been a really really good Class B battle going on this this season with uh, with Mike Seaborn, Derek Pierce, Rick Walker, uh, Daniel Stewart, and Michael Atkinson. You know all involved in that, and um, it, it's really really set set the the championship alight and. You know, it, it looks like that's potentially where the the champion is going to come from. With Mike Seaborn currently leading the way, 
um, from Tom Tom Lenthal in his uh, Class C uh, XJS. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily that the, the guys with the biggest budgets and the guys that are racing out at the front of the grid that are going to win the championship, you know, that there's all these other battles going on uh, behind them. And that's really where uh, it keeps the, the level of interest in the championship uh, alive. And this is an important point to make about club motorsport, isn't it? Because actually it's not always about the overall win or the guys right up the front. What's great to watch as a spectator and what's great to follow is the fact that within the field there are sort of groups of mates that come together to have their own little battles, almost like running their own little races, aren't they? And whilst they're never going to be contenders for the overall win, there's all of these amazing dramatic stories breaking out up and down the grid. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, you know, if we move on from from Donington, um, the, the the next round was a, at um, a, a Brands Hatch and. Um, you know, unfortunately, we had a tragedy at Brands Hatch, which we can talk about in a minute. But um, we we had loads and loads of little battles that weekend going on all over the over the circuit. I remember Dean Saul came back. Um, Dean was one of those that took a break um, because of COVID, and Brands was his first race back, and he had this tremendous uh, battle with. Um, uh, Michael Atkinson and uh, you know there were all of these little things going on uh, over the grid there was a, a tremendous three-way battle between uh, Rick Walker Mike Seaborn and Derek Pierce uh, that weekend I- I- as well but you know we were reminded that weekend that racing uh, can be can be dangerous and and, and, and tragically um we we lost a marshal that weekend in an incident that happened immediately after our race. We we had raced uh, our first race uh, and our cars safely came back into into the paddock. The the, the race um, which was when the classic touring car racing club races started after that second lap um, there was coming together with with two cars. Unfortunately, one car veered off left and uh le- left the track and uh, a marshal was sadly killed you know and and we're we're reminded uh on those occasions it fortunately it doesn't happen very often these days but but sadly a marshal was killed you know and and it did put a very big dampener on the whole of that weekend well it's an important point to note isn't it and uh i was at silverstone classic that weekend when the news broke that rob foot had lost his life when that car had collided with the marshal's post and it's a stark reminder that motor racing is dangerous but also it is dangerous for those people that volunteer to make it happen and even at the big ticket events even at the british grand prix at the le mans 24 hours those world famous races the guys in orange that make motorsport happen that peel drivers out of cars when they have accidents and administer uh, care to them and, and make sure everyone's safe and the race is running properly they are all volunteers and in effect they're risking their life for no reward other than the j- enjoyment of motorsport every weekend to make sure that we can all go out and race yeah no absolutely Wayne you know um you know th- those those guys in the orange army they're they're incredible and and the thing 
that for me at, at Brands Hatch that weekend that was really, really poignant was after that incident that had happened on the Saturday, um, you know, there was some debate about whether racing was going to go ahead on the Sunday. And it was felt amongst the marshals that, you know, that's what Robert would have wanted for, for racing to continue. The racing did happen on the Sunday and all the marshals came together before racing began on the grid, uh, on the start line for, for a moment's uh, silence. And to see the Orange Army there massed together, um, you know, thinking about their, their lost colleague and then having to return to their marshal post for racing to continue you know, we can't say uh, enough about those guys that volunteered to do that. Absolutely. Well, in memory of Rob Foote, we'll never forget the contribution that was made by him and all the marshals up and down the country every weekend that a motor race is taking place. And, of course, at the beginning of July, uh, before Brands Hatch, we were at Castle Coombe, and it was unsurprising, I guess, that the dominant force there was Tom from Swallows Jaguar, from this very podcast. That is his home circuit, and he just stamped his authority on it that weekend, didn't he? Yeah, sorry there. I, I skipped a week <laughs> a weekend's racing there, uh, Wayne. It, it, it was it, it was actually uh, a weekend. It was the, the only weekend that in the last I think um, five years I, I've actually missed one of our, our races because it, it clashed with the Jaguar Festival, uh, and I was up at, at Bicester running the, the the track experience up there. Um, but you know, I was keeping uh, keeping a close eye on what was what was happening at Castlecombe, and um, you know, seeing the, the pictures and the footage uh, of uh, of the race. And as you quite rightly say, Tom Tom dominated the race on his on his home track. You know, uh, I know when I go out on the track at Castlecombe, I always feel at home, and I know Tom does it as well. You know, uh, that's where he goes and and, and tests test the car. So it was probably not surprising, um, you know, uh, that he was going to be uh, strong that weekend, and, and so that proved to, care, to be the case. And he, he was he was strong that weekend, not only in the in the drying qualifying and the first race, but the the second race, which was wet. He you know he was also. Uh, very very strong in, in in that race as well and um you know uh it 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 just proves that um that you know you 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 have to have a good car but you also have to be a good driver as well you know absolutely well he proved that there and then he would go on to prove it again as we reach the end of august and on august the 30th bank holiday weekend of course the championship arrived at Cadwell Park and Bayek, was it wet at stages on that race? And <laughs> I've seen the pictures. I'm not quite sure any car was doing anything but going sideways most of that weekend. Yeah, but I have to say it made for incredible entertainment, Wayne. It was, it was, just, it was just so entertaining. Um, we didn't get any heavy rain at Cadwell. Um, we had that very fine rain which just, you know, just before the guys go out on circuit, you get a little sprinkling of that fine rain, which just greased the top uh, of the of the track, 
And, you know, Cabwell, uh, as you know, is an absolutely stunning circuit. Uh, it's, it's called the mini Nürburgring, you know, and it's not called that, you know, lightly. It, it has that element of it to it. It's, it's not what many British circuits are like. You know, most, most of the circuits in this country are built on old airfields and they can be a little bit flat and a little bit uninteresting. But Cadwell Park um, is completely different. You know, it's undulating. You've got uh, opposite cambers. You've got everything there. And, and really, I think if you can drive Cadwell, you can pretty much drive anything. So if you throw, you know, a little bit of damp and a little bit of rain into that mix and you go underneath uh, trees, it's very narrow. It's not really... Uh, a kind of circuit you would associate with big jags but my god it does make for entertaining racing and we had we had everything going on there and uh, i would say that mike seaborn was at the center of most of it um you know i i don't think i've ever seen a car come up over the mountain on the grass to see it see him do it twice was quite something else <laughs> well this is a good opportunity to remind everyone that if you missed any of this action you can watch it all again via the barc youtube channel very easy to find if you search barc on youtube or of course you can follow the links from friday spotlight the jaguar enthusiast club weekly newsletter and from our social media pages uh, across the various channels as well and they all are up on youtube to watch again and again so if there is an earlier round in the year that you missed you can and go and watch it again and see all of those thrills and spills that we're describing for you and there was plenty more of them at Snetterton because whilst Tom had reported on this podcast about some of the vehicle issues he'd had at Cadwell Park uh, they went into Snetterton with all sorts of uncertainty and that usually breeds a very very tight competition and Snetterton didn't let us down did it? No, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, unfortunately, quite a few of the guys were absent uh, at Snetterton because they had uh, it clashed with the Good, Goodwood Revival. You know, we've had a lot of that this season with a, a very compacted calendar of events going on and, uh, and, and quite a few of the guys were, were down there. Just skipping back to Cadwell at a moment, Wayne, I have to say it was an illustration, Cadwell, of... Um, you have to stay in the race because you never know in racing what's going to happen because uh, in race one with two laps to go James Ram I think was fifth Um, and uh, he ended up winning the race Tom's car um, had had issues with the with the manifold Uh, Mike Seaborn had issues with his exhaust Uh, Guy and um, Tom Rental had a load of coming together, and um, and and James in, inherited inherited the lead. I think he described it uh, was it, uh, it was the race that nobody wanted to win. You know, so uh, <laughs> just skipping back there to, to Cadwell, you know, James proved that uh, you, you know you have to you have to keep stay in the race 
right to the end uh, and, and you never know what's going to happen absolutely just like you'd see in a formula one race suddenly it rains and it throws everything into uh, upside down and topsy-turvy results and that's uh, just the, just what we had at Cadwell park as you described and uh yeah as you say a smaller group for snetterton but sets it up nicely yeah. for mallory park because this is big, the big concluding moment of the season and it's it's far from decided especially in group b isn't it yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Group Group B, as I say, has been the story this season. But um, uh, the overall um, the overall situation in the championship is extremely close. Mike Seaborn's currently leading the championship on 150 points, but he's only four points ahead of Tom Lenthal. Um, Tom Robinson's a little further back, uh, and, and probably just out of the battle for the championship now on 122 um, uh, with Rick Walker narrowly behind him on 118 um, but the class the class B um, if I uh, just run down the class B Mike Seaborn's got 150 points Rick Walker 118 Derek Pierce has got 113 and Daniel Stewart's got 78 and you know that that shows how these guys have been accumulating points all through the season uh, and, and it is about consistency, having a reliable car, making sure that you finish. You know, you, you, as soon as as soon as you have a DNF, uh, it, it it robs you of a, of a heck of a lot of points. You know, uh, the maximum number of points you can win on a weekend is thirty is thirty one points. Um, you 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 have a DNF, and suddenly you know you you're dropping fifteen fifteen points, and and it does start to push you out of it. So it's very important to, to, to finish these races and, um, uh, and, to, and to be consistent. You know, uh, Chris Boone did that in a Class B car in 2019, and, and he was so consistent in, in every, every race. And um, that's really the, the, the secret of, of winning the championship, if you like, Wayne. Well, uh, let's watch the story unfold at Mallory Park. Where do you think the big battles are going to be? If you can make any predictions as to which cars we should be watching and what we need to keep our eye on. Well, Mallory is an interesting circuit, and it's, and it's not really uh, it's not really what you would call a power circuit. It's um, it's a circuit that was that was originally built for grass track racing. So it's almost it's almost an oval shape. It goes. Uh, around a, a lake and then it's got a, a small loop and a, a hairpin bend added on to the end of it so it's quite an unusual circuit but but does have uh, interesting interesting racing history there um, I think uh, it's a very narrow circuit I, I think if I'm honest you know we'll we'll probably see uh, the battle at the at the front between the usual protagonists so uh, I think James, Tom, uh, Colin, and uh, Guy Conyu will probably be be up there battling it out. Um, but I don't think some of the the guys in the in the in the Class C and the Class B cars will be particularly far behind them. So you know, it, it is a case if somebody does drop it, do, does go off the circuit, then then one of those Class B or Class C cars could could move up there. Um, and, uh, and I think uh, it will be extremely close again between Mike Seaborn, Rick Walker, and, and Derek Pierce. And it, I wouldn't like to put money on who's going to win the championship between 
Mike Seaborn and, and, and Tom Lentzel. Uh, they've both had tremendous season, both been very consistent, finished races, as I said, that's the way to do it, and, they, and they've proved it. And I, and I think those two will be fairly close to together and keeping an eye on each other. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to let want to see one of them disappearing into the sunset. They're going to be uh, trying to keep very close to each other and, um, and keep those points tight. Well, we look forward to seeing it. And if you can't make Mallory Park, you can watch all of the action live streamed via the social media pages for the Jaguar Enthusiast Club. You can also follow the links to the BARC YouTube channel as well from Friday Spotlight. You don't have to miss a thing. But even better than that, get yourself down to Mallory Park. Cheer on the guys and see the action for you uh, in uh, real life. And the great thing about Mallory Park is because of the way it was built and its history, you can see most of it from most places that you view the track from so a great circuit to end the championship at and expect some real battles there because you'll see the faster cars streak away along the uh, straight towards the back of the circuit if you're watching from the pit straight end and then all of a sudden as they get to the the tight corners at one end they'll all bunch up and it's always a a massive fight of power versus agility at Mallory Park always makes for a fantastic climax to any championship round and uh, we'll look forward to that follow those links as I say and Colin already you must be looking forward to the 2022 season so what can you reveal about what's to look forward to next year absolutely Wayne you know we are we are looking forward to uh, 2022 well the, what, the one thing that I, I'm perhaps most looking forward to is seeing fresh blood new guys coming into the into the championship we haven't talked much about class a um uh, the, i think i mentioned jack robinson is coming out in a class a car in a in an xj40 next season and um, there's one or two other uh class a cars um you know uh i know there are several cars in build at the moment and 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 what we want to see um is guys coming into the championship you know uh and a class a car is a good place to to really really start uh you know and you can come in on a on a fairly low budget because they're just you know uh modified road cars with uh safety features added to them so those kind of cars coming into the championship i know i know there's a class a x300 coming in um and and i think we'll see uh, some bigger grids, you know. So I'm I'm looking forward, as, as much as I really enjoy seeing the battles at the front uh, uh, of the races, you know, we have some tremendous racing, to, you know, further down the grid towards the, the back um, with some of the Class A cars. And uh, having having those standard road cars out there, you know, I think adds something to the championship. And I'm really looking forward to seeing... The, the growth in the number of those coming out and and to see that the, the depth if you like in the in the grid um and and to see you know the grid going uh the right way because you know we we had a couple of lean years and we've we started to see the grid growing again now well there is space for you if you want to join the grid 
in 2022. It is possible, as Colin says, to take a road car and adapt it for this. It is possible to enter racing with the JEC very easily and relatively affordable. It's something we've spoken to uh, many of the drivers about on this podcast throughout the last 64 episodes. So lots of information to find on the JEC website, jc.org.uk, and we'll announce more information on the 2022 season as it comes forward. So Colin, thanks for coming on and giving us your overview of 2021. We'll look forward to the drama of Mallory Park in uh, a couple of weeks' time. And we'll also look forward to a great season in 2022. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Wayne. It's been great talking to you. Cheers. You're listening to the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Tom's Jaguar Racing Diary. Sharing the knowledge, drama and innovation from behind the scenes at the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club Race Championship. So we're up at Snetterton for the second before the last round of the JC Championship. And following on really from last week's podcast, um, we obviously had to carry out a fair bit of work to the car after Cadwell, after damaged manifold. We've got some new improvements um, for this weekend as well. So um, we travelled up um, pretty late last night, actually. So um, the racing is over the Saturday and Sunday this weekend. Um, so um, we've got qualifying this morning. Um, there's quite a few qualifying sessions out before us. Um, definitely think it's going to be dry today. So the car is going to be going out and qualifying on the dry setup. Um, unfortunately, the grid numbers are a little bit lower than um, we've seen at the other rounds. Um, there was a bit of a clash with the calendar and... Um, um, it actually clashed with the Goodwood Revival dates move. So quite a lot of the other um, race drivers have got Mark 1s and Mark 2s. Um, so I believe they are there with that, which is a bit of a shame, really. Um, Snetton, as I said in, in last week's episode, is a, is a circuit that we often do really early on in the year. So I'm, I'm quite excited to see what the XJR6 can do around here. So um, I haven't driven here for a while. Um, we haven't had time to do any testing. So qualifying is going to be a case of... Um, getting two or three laps under my belt, working out where what I need to do, where I can uh, brake later, etc. Get some heat into the tyres and just see if we can get a lap in. Um, frustratingly, Colin and James aren't here this weekend, so um, I don't really have any kind of direct competition um, that we've been competing against this year that's actually here to rival us, um, which is a bit, bit of a shame, really. Um, obviously, we, we'd like to, to put in a good result, um, but at the same time, we, we want as stiff competition as possible. So I'm a little bit gutted about that. But at the same time, um, we want to prove the car after the problems we had up at Cadwell. Um, and we just want to get a result under our belt. Every point helps. So if we can get a point for qualifying, fastest lap and also some race points as well, that will give us in good stead for the championship at the end of the season. As I said, I don't think we can win overall. I think that's going to be between Mike Seabon and Tom Lempful. They've had brilliant, consistently results all through the year. Um, and we have had a couple of DNFs this year. I believe they're not doing drop points. Normally, we're, we run 12 rounds, but we actually um, actually only compete off the 10 rounds, if that makes sense. So they'll drop two rounds. But this year, I believe it is um, a full schedule. So I think that's going to go against us with the points tally, although we've had quite a few overall wins. Um, I think we've had the most overall wins um, and laps, uh, quickest laps, and also um, quickest qualifying laps as well, which we also get a point for. But it is what it is. Um, we're still at the shot to beat James Ram in, in Class D, which we've got every intention to try and keep up. So, yeah, fe- feeling good, pretty good today. Like I said, it's definitely going to be dry. I'm fairly confident. The race is until this afternoon. 
Um, so the car's all ready. We're just going to um, go around it, really make some small adjustments to the suspension um, after qualifying feedback, really. Other than that, I'm hoping um, that's pretty much all we're going to need to do today. Um, it's quite a busy weekend. We're supporting um, the truck racing championship. So um, that's going to be really interesting to watch how they get on. Um, and also that, that can cause us a little bit of issues um, with grip on track if the trucks are racing. Obviously, being diesel, they do put a lot of... Uh, oil out on the track so it'll be interesting to see how we get on after them but yeah i'll give you another update after qualifying ended up doing a 2.13.002 which is actually the quickest lap time i've ever managed to achieve at snetterton so that's a great great start to the to the day to be honest with you um going through the rest of the grid um looking at the lap times we were quite a long way ahead on the pace for the day um tom lemphill qualified in second he's actually in um derek pierce's xk8 today um so he's actually competing in class b which is a little bit unusual i think he's doing that to try and uh keep the points uh or to take the points away from mike seaborn um tom normally completes in c and him and um mike are actually really close on points and i don't think there was any other class c entrance for this weekend so i think there's a little bit of tactics there from tom lemphill but he qualified second um which was quite a big difference in the lap times he was a 221 so really really happy with that lap time um i'm not sure where that stands with what the quickest lap time is around here in a, in a jag um i don't think that'll be far off that so um i am going to make a couple of small changes to the car not a lot um i just found that we had a little bit of um oversteer um i don't know whether that's just because the trucks have been out and it is just slippy um we're going to make a small um a couple of changes to the back end to see if we can improve that for race one um going down the rest of the grid um it looks like all of the battle is going to be in class b this weekend um we got lawrence Coppock, which is in a class d car he's actually in my class he was in third that's a v12 and then further down the list we got um fourth which is rick walker and mike seaborn and also Daniel Stewart closely followed. So I'd say that's where the, the, the battle's going to be in Class B, to be honest. They're really, really close on lap times. They're within a hundred of a second of each other. Um, so I think Mike's got a little bit of work to do um, for race one to try and get in front of those two because they look pretty, pretty dominant lap times. So, um, yeah, I think that's where the battle is for the championship. Um, like I said, looks like we're well ahead on the lap times. So I don't think we're going to have a massive amount of uh, racing to be done in race one um, with those lap times. But um, either way, anything can happen. We need to get a finish under our belt. So, um, like I said, we're going to make a couple of small damper changes. Races on this afternoon. I'll update you after the race. So that's race one over and we managed to bag the overall win, which is absolutely brilliant. The car was like a sewing machine. Couldn't have asked any more from the car. It was absolutely perfect. We had quite a dominant lead, to be honest with you. Um, I think I actually had about 47 seconds over the rest of the pack, which was is pretty unheard of, to be honest. But as I said earlier on, we don't have any of our kind of direct competition. So the Tom Lemphill finished second in Class B. Mike Seaborn behind him and also Lawrence Coppock in Class D finished third overall. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit disappointing with a view that we didn't actually get any competition, um, but that's just one of those things, unfortunately. Um, but on the other hand, I'm just really happy um, with the lap times of the XJR6 and how we got on. And the car was just absolutely faultless and really, really consistent as well. So I did two or three laps um, pretty hot on the pace, um, similar to my qualifying times. Um, and after that, to be honest with you, we just sort of um, pulled it back a little bit and, and preserved the car. I didn't want to put any excessive strain on it for no reason. But yeah, it 
bought it home with no issues. So um, that's done us a, a really, really good solid um, points cleanup for race one. Um, we've obviously got the quickest lap time and an overall win and also qualifying as well. So that does put us in really good stead. The only thing that's a little bit frustrating is there is only three class D entrants for this weekend. So that means we don't get full points. So we still need every point we can get, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, I mean, tomorrow um, the, for race two it is looking a completely different story. It's wet. Um, Snetterton has got two pretty big straights. So that's where the XJR suits really well. Obviously, we've got quite a, um, a powerful car. So um, in the wet, that is pretty much non-existent. Um, you actually want as least power as you can get away with almost in the wet. So um, I think the grid will be a lot tighter for tomorrow, especially in the wet. Mike Seabon is a bit of a wizard in the wet. So um, we'll see what there is to come from him in the wet. Um, it, the race is until two tomorrow and there is quite a weather front coming in. So I'm pretty confident it is going to be wet but, and that will be very interesting with the trucks here. Obviously all the diesel that's been put down on the circuit, um, add that with a bit of, bit of water. I'm sure that's going to be very slippy. So we're not actually going to do any setup changes to the car. I'm just going to be prepared to, uh, leave it to last minute that we may have to go over to the wet setup. But yeah, all in all, um, absolutely cracking result. Um, and yeah, just really, really pleased with the overall win. Um, cars back to being reliable. All of the little modifications that we did after um, Cadwell with the engine mounts feels really, really good. Um, to be honest with you, I can't feel any movement from that engine and there's no witness marks in the manifold. So it looks like we've rectified that issue, which is great news. And uh, I think me and Dan will have a couple of beers and look over all of the data tonight um, and then obviously uh, see if there's any other issues there or any other improvements we can do for future. So we're just in assembly area for race two. Um, it hasn't actually rained a drop of rain so far. Um, we have made the last minute decision to change the car to wet here. Um, looking in the distance, there is a huge black cloud coming over. And as far as you can see, it is pretty black behind that. We're just looking on the weather apps with Dan now, and we can see that there is a, a, a kind of rain patch that is coming in any minute. So um, although it's not physically wet at the moment, um, we're going to go for a softer rear setup um, and we're going to go for a wet setup. I just think that it's going to rain any minute. By the time we've done our uh, green flag etc i think it's going to be raining so we're going to take the risk now and go for the full wet and we'll see what happens that is probably the worst driving conditions i've ever experienced on track absolutely torrential it was so slippery that tom lempfel actually managed to spin out twice on the warm-up lap which i've just never seen before there was no grip whatsoever um, when we came round to the to the start line to actually go away on the on the standing start, they decided to delay the start temporarily, and we actually then started behind the safety car. So we had to do another lap behind the safety car, and then when the, the safety car peeled off, we were then racing. So as soon as that safety car peeled away, just just any throttle input from the car, and it was just wheel spinning trying to step sideways in a straight line. It was absolutely unbelievable. I've never experienced anything like it, but. All in all, it was an absolute blinding result for us. We managed the overall win again, which is two for us this weekend. Um, and we actually managed to gap the pack again by quite a considerable distance in the wet, which for me is a bit of a personal achievement. Um, the guys always have a little bit of joke about the supercharged car being powerful and Snetterton is obviously a, um, is suited towards this car, but in the wet, that rules out the power advantage completely. So um, yeah, that's just on a personal note, that was really, really something for me. Um, the car was faultless in the wet. 
Um, but it was seriously, seriously greasy. It was a, a bit of a result just to get a finish in those conditions, to be completely honest. The wipers on the car couldn't even keep up with the amount of rain that was coming down on overspray. It was, uh, you could just about see the end of the bonnet. So um, the truck racing uh, definitely uh, helped with the amount of uh, diesel out on the track, which just gave us absolutely no grip whatsoever. So it was just a, a point and, and slide, really. It was, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. But yeah. Great weekend for us up at Snetterton. Um, going back to the workshops um, for next week, we've obviously got the last round up at Mallory Park. Um, the championship um, points are extremely close between uh, Mike and Tom now. I think Mike's going to be leading the championship going into the last round at Mallory. So depending on their results, it is ultimately down to the last round. We're just clear on James Ram on points, um, only just though. So I think it's going to be the same between me and him up at Mallory. Um, the race results will ultimately determine who's going to win the class. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really, really close racing. Um, and, yeah, we, we want to get the best result we can at Mallory. We've managed to get as many points as w that was achievable for this weekend. So um, we've done everything we can to, to, to secure those points to try and beat James. So it's all going to come down to the final round at Mallory Park. So next week's episode, I'll update you with what we're going to do car preparation wise once we've checked it over. But in honesty, I don't think we're going to need to do a great deal because the car has been absolutely faultless this weekend. There's no known issues with the car, but we will give it a check over. So yeah, I'll update you all next week with a Mallory prep and uh, yeah, fingers crossed we can keep this going for the last round. That's all for this episode of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Don't forget to keep in touch with us here on the JEC podcast via www.jecpodcast.com. And you can get in touch with us very easily by using the voice recorder on there to leave us a message, or you can use the contact form if you prefer to write your messages. Don't forget, you can also join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club online by clicking the Join Today button on the top right-hand corner of the podcast page to enjoy all the benefits, plus the fantastic, glossy, 130-page monthly magazine that's all included in your membership of the worldwide Jaguar family that is the JEC. This is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Subscribe for new episodes at jecpodcast.com.